Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear T.S. Madison. People of the cloth, children, always end up sucking dick. <laughs> the girls and the boys, so. That and more. But before that, I want to let everyone know that Risk will be at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles this Saturday, September 17th. Going to be a big show. Ben Garant of Reno 911 and The State will be there. Milana Vaintrub of Silicon Valley and Other Space will be there. John Flynn is one of everyone's favorite risk storytellers. He'll be back. David Crabb will be there too. I mean, it's going to be jam-packed. You got to get to the Bootleg Theater September 17th in Los Angeles. Another thing I want to let everyone know is that we are on the hunt now for Halloween sorts of stories for our big Halloween episodes coming up at the end of next month. Scary stories, ghost stories, bad drug trips, encounters with maniacs, all those kind of scary stories. Go to the Risk Submissions page, that's risk-show.com slash submissions, and share your really scary stories with us. Finally, I want to say that Risk is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform. Squarespace sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. No coding required. With intuitive and easy-to-use tools, Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. Trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world, start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code RISK to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is the Echocentrics. Behind me now, we're calling this week's episode Flustered. These are four stories told at live Risk shows where the storyteller found him or herself a little bit, you know, ruffled. Not combobulated, my friends. Discombobulated. In just a bit, we're going to hear from the sex god and space prince, Julio Torres. But before that, we're going to hear from Amanda Seals, who is the host of Greatest Ever on True TV. And you can find her at amandaseals.com. Here she is now at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles with a story we call Human Beatbox.
So I, uh, I recently moved here from New York City. Clearly no one here cares about New York City. There's clearly no one from Brooklyn here because that would have been made very known. Um, I lived in New York for 15 years. Uh, I've done my time, basically. Uh, this is my Shawshank Redemption, this right now. And during that time, you know, living in New York City, mm, you find out things about yourself, you know, things that you just didn't know, you didn't know. You, you are put in situations where you have to dig deep and uncover new existences and realities and sometimes talents. One of those situations happened one fateful night on the D train. I have a thing. If there's seats on the train, don't sit next to me. Okay, so it's, a, it's, a ba it's basic, it's basic. It's, I know you're like, wow, like she's stank, fine. Call me what you want, but like there's mad seats. <laughs> like you don't have to sit next to me. So we don't have to like fake like each other. Your thigh doesn't have to touch my thigh, which is just uncomfortable for me. And like I should be able to just live comfortably in my introvertedness on this public transportation, okay? So don't sit next to me. So this is one of those nights where it's like, the train isn't like, packed like a dick, but, you know, there are people, but there's also options, okay? So I'm sitting in like a two-seater, and there's a three-seater right here, okay? Two, three. There's a black guy sitting right here, and nobody's sitting next to him, and nobody's sitting next to that seat, and then I'm sitting here, and then I have a FedEx flat rate box sitting in the seat next to me. The flat rate box is filled with t-shirts. It's light, it's not heavy. So it's big enough to fill up the god dang seat. I'm sitting here minding my business, right? Cause that's what you do on the train. You mind your business. Side note, unless you're the asshole who's like, headphones, who needs those? I hate you and I hate your musical taste and I hate your candy crush. Um, <laughs> So I'm sitting there and I hear from behind me, I wanna sit here. <laughs> That's jarring for a number of reasons. One of which it sounds plantation-y. There's a certain slave font to his language, okay? White people feel free to laugh when I reference slavery. You didn't do it, okay? <laughs> I'm allowing you that. You still can't say nigga, but you can laugh at slavery, okay? So, I hear this voice and I'm like, what is this person gonna look like when I turn around? But I didn't have to turn around because he then came to face me because he needs to talk to me face to face about this seat. Turns out, he was exactly what I expected. He had clearly just risen from a box of some sort. Uh, he possibly peed at the other end of the train before walking up. He had on some dingy jeans, one slipper, a white tee, and one eye. When people have just one eye and they're yelling at you, their point is gonna come across. 
because it's laser sharp. It's coming at you fast, okay? I wanna sit here. So when he said it the second time, it's like, now I gotta respond. And I just felt like I needed to meet him at his color purple. And I was like, you can't sit here. Cause like every black person has that in them. You know, we kind of hold it in, but sometimes like when you're singing, lift every voice and sing the Negro national anthem. And when situations like this happen, you just get knee deep in the cotton real quick. Okay. So, we're now like, and I don't know where this is gonna go, but I know he ain't gonna sit here because we've established that. <laughs> you think you've seen it all in New York, right? Because you're like, I've already seen three bums jack off on a train in one night, so what else could happen? And then what happens is one-eyed Willie picks up my flat rate box and proceeds to beat me with it. Mm-hmm. Audible gasp. No bullshit. Bop! 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 That's about how many bops it took for me to realize One-Eyed Willie is beating me with my box. <laughs> it's not an immediate reaction, okay? And then it continues to happen and you're like, he's really beating me with this box. And you're frozen almost, you know, because you're paralyzed because like this is actually happening and people are around. That's the other shit. You're not in like Willie's box. You're on the train. There's a brother sitting right here. There are four people right here on their Kindles or their whatever the fickles. And you are getting beat with a box. And so that's when you have to like <laughs> figure out what you're gonna do. Somehow I managed to like grab the side of the box. And now me and Willie are wrestling with the box. Correction wrestling with this box. Went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then he manages to like let go. And you know with, when kids do that and you're like, whoa. So now the box like ricochets on me and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And then he goes to grab the box again because he is determined. And I don't even know what the goal is at this point because I thought you wanted to sit down. And if you think you're going to sit down after you beat me with this box, that's not going to happen, Willie. What's the end game, bruh? What's the end game? <laughs> so now we are once again wrestling with this box back and forth. And that's when I had to go to my teachings. You know? Some of you might think I mean God. You know, some type of therapy. You know, teachings. For me, it was the Bourne movies. <laughs> I learn from pop culture. You cannot tell me that the reason I found out recently that I all of a sudden know how to ride a horse isn't because I have spent hours watching Khaleesi ride a horse. <laughs> Learning, teaching. 
So the Bourne movies have shown me that at any moment, I can remember I'm a martial arts specialist. It's in me. It's within me. And then I also remembered that I was a gymnast. For real, I grew up, I was a gymnast. Like I can flip, I can do a handstand right now, but I'm in a skirt, so I'm classy. But I knew that in that moment and it all clicked. And I was like, you're gonna have to kick him. That's what you're gonna have to do. And people, I managed to like cock back, raise up, and thrust into his pelvis. And now One-Eyed Willie is like, whoa, and lands on the people in their Kindles. And now these motherfuckers wanna go, oh my gosh, what's happening? It took a one-eyed black man to land on you to see what's happening. So now he springs back up and I scream, are any of you all gonna stop this man from beating me? And my brother right here stands up. And I'm like, oh, he gon' he gonna ride for me, because hashtag Black Lives Matter. <laughs> and he stands up and says, hey, ain't nobody pay for that man. What do you what does that mean? What are you talking about? That, what, uh, what, that's not helpful. Like, and I know in his mind he thought, I got you, sis. No, you don't got me. Who did have me? was three white guys at the back of the train who started shuffling up. And it looked like they had just like interrupted or cut short a hacky sack game. <laughs> you know, flip flops, cargo shorts, white boys and dreadlocks. You know, you know the look, you know the team. And uh, they jog up and they form like a circle around me. And One-Eyed Willie is like trying to get through. He's like trying to cut through them. They're like, hey, bro, chill. She doesn't want to sit next to you, bro. Chill, Ch chill, chill, bro. Chill, it's nothing personal, bro. It's nothing personal. And one night, Willie's like, no, I gotta get to her. I gotta get to her. And they're like, yo, cool out, man. Cool it. And I'm just sitting there like, I cannot believe this shit. <laughs> That's when I felt like I did need to, I did need to step back in the game, you know? Because when I Willie is still, he's talking a lot of shit. Okay? I'ma kill this bitch. You ain't gonna kill nobody. Not on this train, not tonight, not with my flat rate box. <laughs> and I should let you all know that I am trans. Trans thug. <laughs> and this body lives a thug in Timberland boots and a hoodie to fuck you up. So, something you should learn about crazy is that sometimes the only way to beat crazy is to be crazier. And thugs love to get crazy. So in that moment, I, I decided, I knew, I knew, I knew what I needed to do and I didn't even have to think about it because it's just like my natural inclination. And he's doing all this rah-rah shit and finally I just stood up and I was like, you won't touch me! <laughs> ah! And he got off the train. <laughs> yeah.
wanna sit here. One-Eyed Willie is beating me with my box. Oh my god! I'ma kill this bitch. Hey, bro. I'ma kill this bitch. Chill. I'ma kill this bitch. Chill. Chill. Chill, Chill, bro. Yo, cool out, man. Cool it. I'ma kill this bitch. You won't touch me! Hi. Uh, hi. Hello. I wasn't always a star. I was once a uh, just meek, little liberal arts college student, as were all of you. I remember that when I graduated school, I went to uh, the new school here in New York, and if you know anything about the new school, this makes uh, sense. When I graduated from the new school, all I wanted was to get a nine-to-five job that would pay for being alive in New York. <laughs> that is all I wanted. And I thought, well, I got good grades, so job, here I come. Because <laughs> I was very smart, but also very stupid. And I thought, well, I have such a great resume, because you know, during college, I was addicted and obsessed with internships. I couldn't get enough of them. I was just a little internship whore. One was offered to me, and I would say, yes, more internships. I was once an intern for this literary non-for-profit. I would go there, and I would sit, and then I would leave. I was there for two years. <laughs> to this day, I couldn't begin to tell you what they do. <laughs> it was always a mystery. One day I'd like to know. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm ready for a job. So I, of course, I tried applying. Oh, mind you, I was graduating with a literary studies degree. So I, I did what I think everyone does, which is, you know, you email any, like, professor that was ever nice to you, and you're like, hey, um, so, um, Julio, I was in your, like, Kafka in architecture class, um, <laughs> just, uh, wondering if there are any dogs I can walk, um, <laughs> but, no, I wasn't quite desperate yet, and I tried for, like, the publishing jobs, I never got an interview, and then I tried just uh, anything vaguely related to what I wanted to do. And someone got me an interview at this place called the Meredith Corporation. Now, I was so happy to get an interview and so confident that the only thing that was stopping me from getting a job was like, oh, they just haven't seen me. You know, once I get the interview, I'll be so charming and they'll just love it and they'll make me the CEO. So I, I was very cocky, and I didn't research what the Meredith Corporation was. So I just uh, showed up, and in the lobby, 
I'm just trying to gather context clues of what this place is. <laughs> Meredith Corporation, Meredith Corporation, what are you? And then I gather from the context clues that they publish very niche publications that cater to suburban interests. So like uh, gardening magazines and cooking magazines and like candles that you're never light magazine and <laughs> potpourri magazine. So I thought I can do this. I'm very competent. I can write an article for any of these magazines. So I go into the interview and the first question that the woman asks is, why are you interested in a position in sales? And I fumbled and I was like, well, I like buying things. <laughs> so I feel like being on the other side of that would be um, exciting in the natural progression of my <laughs> hobby of buying things. And then I could sense that the interview was just becoming worse. It was just bombing the interview. And I was like, oh, Meredith Corporation, what am I doing here? And I was just like, I was just going so badly. And then there was just a pause when we were like... <laughs> and I, in that moment, thought, I'm going to save this. And then I just said, I love corporations. <laughs> and I did not get hired. So then, well... Then I decided to do something, well, dare I say, risky. Here it comes. You can all guess. I went to the, what's that quote in The Lion King? To that part of the kingdom where the light doesn't... Craigslist. I, I, I went to Craigslist. Mortar. Mortar from Lord of the Rings? Yeah. And then I was still delusional because I went to the like, writing slash editing section of Craigslist. And I thought, well, you know, I might be going to like this scary neighborhood, which is Craigslist, but I'll go to like the nice part in the scary neighborhood. I'll go to the writing editing section. And then I see this ad that says, looking for PG friendly stories about tickling. <laughs> and I'm thinking maybe it's like ghost writing a children's book. I write back, and I'm like, you know, I graduated from this school, and I can write a story about tickling. Sure. He wrote back, he, of course. <laughs> the worst stories in life involve a he. And uh, he wrote back saying, okay, so what I'm looking for is fun guys like yourself to videotape yourself talking straight to camera no nudity, no lewd language, just about how much you love being tickled. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, I'm definitely in the bad part of the town now. <laughs> but then it almost felt like a challenge because you should know that I hate being tickled. Maybe I don't hate it, but I think I have the average person's reaction to it, which is, this is annoying, why is it happening? <laughs> so I thought, oh, well, what a fun challenge. I think it paid like $100 per five-minute video. And you're thinking, you're making $100 every five minutes? Well, no, because to get 
five minutes of footage that I was satisfied with, that was like a day. So I did the first one. Immediately, I just slip into this all-American guy <laughs> character. So I just start talking about like, oh, you know, like my big brother, he would just pin me down to the floor and he'll tickle me and he'd be like, huh, I'm the tickle monster. Who's the tickle monster? And I had to be like, huh, you're the tickle monster. But then I just went to college and I got stronger and stronger and I came back home and then I pinned him down to the floor and I was like, who's the tickle monster now? He loved it. And I was so pleased. Because then you think, okay, so like the first one was like set at home, so like the sequel has to be college, right? So the sequel, I was, me and like my buddies, uh, we were gonna join a frat. <laughs> and the initiation, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> It just tickled us all night. And he liked that one. And then I kind of got too ambitious and I really phoned it in with the third one. It was just about like, I was with a friend and he started tickling me or something like that. Yeah, I got too cocky because then he wrote back saying, this is no longer working for me. I don't know that I'll ever heal. From that... So I had to, you know, move on. And then I replied to this other Craigslist ad that said, looking for a magician's assistant. And I thought, well, that's just fun. But my first question I asked in the email, the first, and I think the only thing that I asked is, does the assistant have to be female? Or can we just, like, open our minds and this be, like, a really, like, fun thing? Like, can I be the first male... Ma I don't know if I would be the first male magician's assistant, but I, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get a job and make some history while I'm at it. <laughs> he writes back, like, no. Very, like, choppy sentences. No, that's okay. Meet me for an interview. And then, like, the address of a cafe in Soho. And then I go into the cafe. And then I realized, oh... I don't know what this magician looks like. But then I see a gentleman in all black and a fedora. And I think, oh, okay, good. So I sit down with him, and he's with this woman who's just sort of like, her face was just grumpy. She was just like either bored or tired. She was just like, and she, I, like, said hi to her, and then, like, we never got introduced, but I never got a name or anything. She was just, like, there. And the magician, the first thing he says is, I'm not magician. <laughs> and it was like, well, uh-huh. <laughs> Please do go on. <laughs> and he, he a little surly, but he's, like, translating from his native language a lot so he sounds very pensive and he's just taking his time with every sentence he goes I am not magician I am saxophone player <laughs> and I'm thinking well clearly you know the name for the thing you do so why not looking for a saxophone player assistant like why are we hiding that you're a saxophone player that's okay in fact I guarantee more and better responses <laughs> than a magician's assistant. Like, I'm the only one, like, stupid and weird enough to reply to a magician's assistant ad. 
Or if you're like a saxophone player, like a lot of people would, wouldn't mind doing that. But he's just like, I am a saxophone player. I'm like, okay. I have a saxophone. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Great, you're not renting. I have a saxophone. And I play at parties. People are laughing. People are having fun. It is a wedding. It is a retirement. Uh, it's a birthday. They're having fun. I am playing a saxophone. Any song. Madonna. They're laughing. And then Dick comes out. I was like, why? You just said that people were already having fun. These people are at a retirement party, you just said. And then Dick comes out. It doesn't seem like anyone was asking for Dick to come out. And he goes, no, no, no. I have special saxophone. I push a button from the hole in the saxophone. Plastic dick comes out. And from the dick, tequila, vodka, and people laugh, they drink. I'm still like a little hung up on like why magician's assistant. <laughs> It's just a lie after a lie after a lie. And then his wife interrupts for the first time. She hasn't said anything. She leans over and she sort of like sees me becoming less and less interested in the job. She leans over and she goes, only saxophone in the world that can do this. <laughs> She is, I think, sick and tired of defending this man. <laughs> He's like, I believe in him. He made it. The dick comes out. I'm sick and tired of explaining it to everyone what my husband does. And I, I ask, like, well, w what would I do? What do you need me for? And essentially what he wanted was someone to get him booked for parties. And he, I think, wanted to charge three or four hundred dollars an hour for the saxophone. And then he goes, but no one can know about Dick. <laughs> Dick must be surprised for everyone. <laughs> so not even the person paying for the service, not even the person throwing the party, can know that that will happen. I thought about it for a little bit. Like, maybe I can be the booker. But, of course, it didn't happen. It was just like yet another job I didn't succeed getting. But that was not my fault. And uh, now I just do this. I just do comedy. Which seems so much easier than getting a 9-to-5 job. Like, if you're looking for one, Good luck. I don't have any pointers. Just uh, be a star.
I feel like now this devolved into a Q&A where no Q was asked. <laughs> it started like a commencement speech and now it's a Q&A. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. This is Sin Cain behind me now, and we just heard from Julio Torres. You can find Julio at Space Prince Julio on Tumblr. That same story is included in the episode of the comedy show show that we did for CISO. The first time we've ever done an evening of risk for TV. So you should go check that out. That's at CISO.com. Before Julio, we heard a little beatbox interstitial made by our own episode editor, Jeff Barr. And now's about the time in the show where I tell you that sometimes it feels like there aren't enough hours in the day, even when you're working past the nine to five. So if you're still making time-consuming trips to the post office, fuck you! You need a better way, you fucking jackass! Use Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you get the postage you need, the instant you need it. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your computer printer. It's quick and easy. You'll save money with Stamps.com. It's just a fraction of the cost of one of those expensive postage meters. Plus, you'll get special postage discounts you can't even find at the post office. We use Stamps.com at risk and the story studio, and we love it. And right now, you can sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code R-I-S-K for this special offer. It's a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Get started with Stamps.com today. Within minutes, you'll be printing postage right from your desk. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's Stamps.com. Enter risk. You Fuck bullet. That's right, I called you fuck bullet. I think it sounds like a nice thing. <laughs> now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from our favorite chick with a dick, the big dick bitch herself, T.S. Madison. But before that, something on a slightly more serious note, 
Mark Redmond is the author of the book The Goodness Within, and he has a podcast called So Shines a Good Deed. Here he is now at the Risk Live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn with a story we call Night of the Riots. So I walk out to my car at the end of a long day of work. I'm tired. I have a long drive home. And it's only my eighth day in a new job. I'm director of what's called the Residential Treatment Center for 72 at-risk teenage boys. It's in Dobbs Ferry in Westchester County. It's called St. Christopher's. And when I get to my car, there's a flyer tucked in the windshield. And it's been handwritten, and it's Xerox. And it says, rally behind the school tonight to protest the Rodney King verdict. So it was April 29th, 1992. And I had an assistant director, and I went up to him. I said, what is this about? He said, well, maybe you didn't hear, but the four police officers accused of beating Rodney King have been found innocent. And L.A.'s going up in flames. There's riots going on in other cities. And I've been long, here long enough to know that if you don't do something fast, you could have riots right here, too. The 72 kids who lived at St. Christopher's all came from poverty. Most of them came from low-income area of New York City. If they knew their parents at all, their parents were in prison, or their parents were addicted to drugs or alcohol. Most of these kids had been in the foster care system their whole lives. You'd have a 15-year-old kid who lived in 15 different homes in his whole life. A lot of these kids had been gang members. A lot of them had a criminal background. They were in the juvenile justice system. And I got the job because the place was out of control. The police had been called all the time to St. Christopher's. Kids were going into town, stealing cars, breaking into homes. So it was my job to bring stability and civility and order. And I think this is important. Of the 72 kids who live there, there was one white boy, one white girl. Almost all the staff were African-American and Hispanic. The man I replaced, who'd been fired after 10 years, he was African-American. And I'm white. Now you can see that, but if you ever listen to this in a podcast, I'm white. <laughs> so I said to my assistant director, who do you think wrote this? He goes, well, I think it's this kid, Joe. I said, well, let's go find Joe. So we went to this cottage, and there was Joe, 15 years old, African-American, very nice kid. He's like, yeah, I wrote this. I'm organizing this. So it's funny. I didn't try and talk him out of it. I look back and think, why didn't I try and stop the rally? And I'd worked with at-risk kids for about 10 years at that point, and just my instinct was that to try and stop it would make it worse. So we said to him, you know what, Joe? We'll have the rally, but can we move it indoors? Have it outdoors, you could lose control. We have this building, it's a chapel, why don't we do it in the chapel? Joe said, fine. I said, see you there in an hour. So I walked in an hour later, all 72 kids are there. They're kind of on the perimeter inside the chapel. There's one other white person, our psychologist, she was there, all the other staff are African-American or Hispanic. And there's a big screen TV on, somebody's got on, and it's showing the infamous beating that everybody's seen for a year of these police officers beating and kicking Rodney King over and over. And it's also showing live shots from LA of cars being flipped, fires being set, awful, awful rioting. And I'm watching that, and I'm thinking, are we minutes away from that right here? So somebody turned off the TV, 
And then Joe got up in the middle and he said, you know, when I first heard about that verdict today, I was furious. I'm half black, so I consider Rodney King to be like my brother. And my first instinct was to do right here what they're doing in L.A. Just start rioting, setting fires, flipping cars. But I've always followed the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King, and he taught to fight racism, but to fight it nonviolently, and that's what I'm going to do. So he sat down, everybody clapped, and my mind, I went, Phew. But two seconds later, another young man stands up, a little younger, he was like 14, Hispanic, and he says, wake up, kids, wake up! This place is racist, and you know it! You all kiss the white man's ass! And he points to the white psychologist and says, you all kick her ass. And then he points to me. You're all going to now start kicking his ass. I'm going into town and I'm going to riot. Who's with me? And he jumps up and he walks out that door and I'm just holding my breath. I'm thinking, how many are going with him? 10? 20? Everybody? Nobody went. Staff member went to calm him down, but no kids went. <laughs> so then we went around the room. No other kids spoke, interesting, but a lot of the staff spoke. I was 34 at the time. They were older. A lot of them were veterans of the civil rights movement. They had them at the March on Washington with Martin Luther King, and they talked about that. They talked about the racism they had experienced in their lives and how they had dealt with it and how they, and it was great. It was great, the messages they had for those kids we're great. So this thing, after about an hour, I can tell this is going to end. And I'm thinking, I got to say something, right? I'm the new director. But I'm also conflicted. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, it's very easy for me as a white person to stand up here and preach peace and nonviolence. Because me and my family and my relatives and ancestors haven't been the ones crapped on for the last 500 years in a row. But I'm thinking, I gotta say something. So I raised my hand, Joe pointed to me, and I stood up. I said, hi, my name is Mark Redman, I'm the new director, I've met some of you, I'm looking forward to meeting all of you, and I just wanna say, that verdict today, that they reached, was wrong. I don't know how any juror can look at that video of those men beating Rodney King over and over and over again and find them innocent. This was a terrible miscarriage of justice. But you know what, kids? There have been miscarriages of justice going on in this country for a long time. I was 10 years old when Martin Luther King was killed. Here's a man who preached peace and nonviolence, gunned down in cold blood, a terrible injustice. The year I was born, 1957, was the same year Emmett Till, a 14-year-old young man, African-American from Chicago, visiting family in Mississippi, was beaten, strangled, drowned, killed by two white men for nothing. And they were found innocent. So there's a long history of injustices in this country. And I hate to tell you this, but there's going to be more. All right, and it could be another African-American person, could be a Hispanic person, could be an Asian person, could be a white person, but it's gonna happen. And the question for you is, what position are you gonna be in to do something about it? And the answer to that is in that schoolroom tomorrow.
I said, look at Malcolm X. Who was it? Malcolm X started out as a drug dealer, a pimp, and a petty thief. But when he was in jail, what did he do? He taught himself to read. Malcolm X educated himself. Somehow Malcolm X knew that in order to fight racial injustice, he needed to be educated. And that's what you should do. So if you're pissed about this verdict today, it starts tomorrow in that classroom. So I sat down, and there was like a brief second, right? Like you're thinking, how was that received? And everybody clapped. They clapped. And it was like a good clap, you know? It, was, it hit. So this Joe stands up. I had no idea what he was going to do. He says, everybody, please stand up and hold hands. So everybody does that. And Joe's in the middle, and he goes, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is the Lord's Prayer. And St. Christopher's, despite its name, was not a religious institution. So it was very moving. We ended. I went up. I thanked him. I said, Joe, great job. Drove home. I lived in Borough Park, Brooklyn. And the next day, I showed up at St. Christopher's, and all the daytime staff were there. The people ran the school, and they were all like, Mark, you did it, man. You stopped the riot. Great job, Mark. I was like, I didn't really do it, you know? It was Joe. It was the kid. I did very little. No, it was you, Mark. Great job, you know? So I called. I used to work in Williamsburg. I ran a home for homeless kids in Williamsburg. I called my boss. I'm like, I didn't really do it. Everybody's giving me the credit. It was really the kid. So he laughed. He goes, well, first of all, you didn't try and stop it, so that was smart. Take a little credit for that. And he said, besides, they'll soon be blaming you for things that aren't your fault, so take the credit. So here we are, 24 years later, and I'm sad to say my prediction that day has come true more than even I ever imagined, right? Trayvon Martin, a 17-year-old kid, with fucking Skittles in his pocket. And he's killed. And George Zimmerman is found innocent. Freddie Gray gets in a van with six police officers, comes out with his neck broken, and he's dead. Nobody's guilty there either. Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old kid with a toy gun, nobody in done. Philando Castrile with a broken taillight, he's killed. It's just frigging endless. And I gotta wonder, did I give those kids the right advice that day, 24 years ago? Is that really the answer to racial injustice, to get an education? What would I tell those kids now? If I drove up to Dobbs Ferry right now, an hour away, and got the 72 kids living there now, and got them in that chapel, would I give the same advice? And I think I would, but I'd add something else. I'd say, yeah, getting an education is key, but you also have to organize. You've got to lock arms with people who are just as outraged as you are and just as committed to seeing things change. Get involved with Black Lives Matter. Get involved with the NAACP. Education's vital, but it's not gonna take you all the way. And until we lock arms and hearts and minds with people who feel the way you do, I don't see any way out of this terrible cycle of injustice and violence. I wish I had delivered some version of that message to those kids in 1992. It is what I would tell those kids 
today. Thank you. Uh, one officer rendered uh, six kicks and one officer one kick. It's probably the worst case of police misconduct that I've ever seen in my 27 years of law enforcement. The four police officers who were videotaped repeatedly beating an unarmed man were found not guilty. I think it has been devastating to the image of the city and especially to our police department. It's going to take years to recover from that. What happened today with Rodney King was unjust. It set off this country's worst riots this century. I just, I just want to say, can we, can we all get along? T.S. Madison is one of the most successful trans porn company owners out there. And she is just such a wonderful, beautiful soul. Just a hilarious joy in our lives. She has done so much that we've enjoyed so much. So without further ado, here is T.S. Madison, the big dick Thank you, Kevin, for that marvelous introduction. I'm not fucking you later anyway, bitch, okay? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I want to come tell you a story about something that happened to me in my life very, very long, well, not that long ago, because then y'all will figure out my age, but bitch, very long ago. I, uh, for a living, I've done a lot of stuff, okay? And a lot of things that I may not be proud of, but bitch, it bought me that big giant house I did in Conyers, bitch. It bought me two Mercedes Benz's, bitch, so it did its job, right? Okay, now, when I go through life, what I like to tell people to do is be yourself. That's one of my taglines. You see it right there on that shirt, right there. Be yourself, bitch. That's one of my taglines. And I try to encourage people to be themselves so much because strange things could happen in your life. And even after you die. I was about 20 years old. And a friend of mine died that I went to school with. You know this story, don't you know this story? <laughs> friend of mine died that I went to school. He wasn't a friend of mine, but he was a friend of the ladies, you know, at, at, the, at the school, you know. And, and, and all the ladies used to talk about how handsome and fine and sexy and delicious and all this type of stuff he was. And he just up and perished. You know how when people just up and perish, you're like, well, how he died? You know, I wanted to say on top of me, but, you know, <laughs> but that wasn't the case, you know. And I'm living the South. I'm from the South. So being from the South, you know, we are Bible people, right? The Bible Belt down there. And it's just it's so crazy how we are the Bible Belt and I end up having tits and a dick. Ain't that something? <laughs> I always knew that Christian kids, people of the cloth children, always end up sucking dick. <laughs> the girls and the boys, so. 
ladies and gentlemen, the, the gentleman died. And when he died, everybody was running around trying to figure out how, like what happened, what happened to him? So being that I'm a queen, y'all know what queen is, right? Okay, well you definitely know what a queen is. <laughs> being that I'm a queen, honey, you know we nosy, we nosy bitches. So a girlfriend of mine and I, myself loaded up in the car, honey. You know, his funeral was Saturday. You can't keep black people out long, too long, honey. You know what I'm saying? You know, we can't keep them out too long, child, because the family will be fighting over the money. But anyway, we loaded up in the car and we went to his services. So we sitting here in the back of the church and we, we watching everybody come in. The casket is sitting up there all pretty and white, the big Ray is sitting up there and you know the, the mom on the front row the girlfriend on this row honey the kids is crying everybody is just crying and crying it was a real sad occasion and I'm still trying to figure out how he died you know what I'm saying like I'm sitting there like how he died now me and him around about the same age I hope it ain't my time next you know but anyway so we sitting back here and everybody's just chilling and just trying to figure out how he died. You know, that's just the big thing. How did this man die? So, all of a sudden, the doors of the church just blew open. Boof! We looked back, and it was the first thing I saw was hair. You see how this hair sitting up here on top of my head? The first thing I saw was hair sitting up to the ceiling, coming in through the door like this from the side. And when the hair came in, you didn't really get a chance to see the person. You just saw them holding themselves like this. And it was very much so, he took a good dick out of this world. I was like, what? You know, he took a good dick out of this world. I said, what? And she just kept coming from the back, hair to the side. Like, this was a stage performance, so I nudged my friend, like, girl, honey, are you sitting to the edge? Is this time for us to go, honey? Are they calling us out? So it just got louder and louder as she proceeded up to the goddamn cat. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. And I said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Wait. Did this bitch just say what I think she said? And then, honey, you know, I guess I was the, not the only one that couldn't really understand what was coming out. So I guess the shit show and shenanigans just continue. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a, he took a, he, he, he took a good dick out of this world. So I'm like, oh my God. He took a good dick out of this world. Oh my God. Like, out of all the dicks that I have ever had in my life, why couldn't I have that one before he went on to the glory? You know, and then, listen, y'all. Now, listen, this is some true motherfucking tea. I'm telling y'all, this is some true tea. This bitch was ugly as fuck. <laughs> this bitch was so ugly. I know y'all seen the movie Holiday Heart, right? Y'all seen that? Holiday Heart with Ving Rains. It's up and drag, bitch up in drag, looking like two men and a baby with this wig sitting on top of her head, screaming and crying. Now see, mind you, this boy never touched any of the queens in the local neighborhood, never. Never touched them, felt like we were disgusting, used to talk all kind of shit, y'all some dudes, all y'all dudes. 
All y'all over there is dudes. I see y'all in the club. All y'all is dudes. So of course I was going to go to your motherfucking funeral, bitch. You died first, bitch. The dude's still alive. But the gag of the matter <laughs> was we found out that you were really fucking a dude, bitch, when you were alive, okay? Because this was a man. This wasn't like a, it wasn't a beautiful queen like myself, bitch. This was a man, like a man-man, like a hard steel man with a fuqua sitting on top of his, a wig or something on the end. Laying all down on the side of the casket. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick. He took a, he took a, he took a, he took, he took a good dick out of this world. So I'm sitting there like, bitch, is that dick really that good? You would come all the way from wherever the fuck you came from and break this funeral up like that. How could you break a funeral up like that? So the baby stopped crying. The wife stopped crying. The mama stopped crying. Everybody is looking like, what the fuck is going on? And this queen was really putting on a stage performance, bitch. Y'all hear me? With the, he took a good dick. So I'm sitting there like, well, when is it gonna end? And she stood right up there to the front of everybody. He took a good dick out of this world! He took a good dick out of this world! He took a, he took a, he took, he, 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 he took a good dick out of this world! Rolled and went back and forth in front of the casket. I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave. No, I didn't, bitch, I'm lying. I wanted to see what the fuck was gonna happen. Bitch. So the pastor is standing there. Now you know this is Southern Baptist Church, bitch. This is Church of God and Christ type of church, y'all. Y'all already know them Church of God and Christ don't play none of that homosexual stuff. <laughs> this queen came in there and turned the motherfucking party, bitch. You hear me? <laughs> so my advice to men and women and down low men is please live your authentic truth. Live your authentic truth and mind how you treat people in this life because you never know who may come to your funeral and turn that bitch out. I'm trying to tell you, because see, I learned something from that bitch that day. I'm going to go fuck a bitch funeral up. He took a good dick. He took a good dick. He took a good dick out of this world. Thank y'all so much. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Black Joe Lewis behind me now, and we just heard from T.S. Madison. Look her up on Facebook at T.S. Madison Hinton, or, of course, you can find her at BigDickBitch.com. That story is also on our CISO episode, so if you want to see what a Risk Live show looks like, definitely go to CISO and check out that show. 
I'm going to list the places that Risk is appearing next on September 17th. We're in Los Angeles at the Bootleg Theater. That's going to be a big show, so come on out, L.A. On September 17th, we are also in Salt Lake City, Utah. Come on out, Salt Lake. These stories are something else that we've been preparing for this Salt Lake show. So come on out. On September 22nd, we're in Nashville, Tennessee for the very first time ever. Come on out, Nashville. On September 28th, we're back at the Bell House in Brooklyn, our home in New York. It's going to be a hell of a show. On September 30th, Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia. And you know what? We are still taking pitches just in case you want to like get in on the very tail end there. You can pitch us for the Richmond show. The theme is juicy. Just go to the submissions page at risk-show.com. On November 11th, we're in New Orleans. On November 12th, Baltimore. Taking pitches for both those shows, folks. The New Orleans theme is Legend. The Baltimore theme is Wounded. On November 18th, we're in Chicago. We're back in Chicago for the festival there, the Chicago Podcast Festival, on November 18th. And we're taking pitches for that one, too. The theme is Frenzy for that night in Chicago. So always go to risk-show.com slash tour to find out where and when we're appearing next. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Out of this world, he took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a he took a he 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 took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick. He took a. 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 He took. He took. He took. He took a good dick out of this world. That dick is really that good.